Hello, uh, welcome everybody to Rebel High Command Cast, an Imperial Assault podcast for 2022 and beyond. This podcast is hosted by the I Command YouTube channel and sponsored by listeners like you through Patreon. If you want to support IA content in 2022, head over to patreon.com slash command and become a patron today. This is episode 9. I am your host, TV Boy, a.k.a. Noah, and I am joined by my co-host, Second Flock, a.k.a. Wesley. Wesley, how are you doing? Hey guys, how's it going? I have been uh, going through quite a few things, so I haven't been able to participate as much in a lot of these December events we've been having. Uh, but I have been watching from the sidelines, nonetheless. Well, I hope everything's going okay with you. Um, but yeah, we've we've been pretty busy with all these tournaments. Um, even though I've been away, so I came back uh, early December, and I've been just trying to catch up. Man, it is hard coming back to work after being off for like two weeks, and then they just have so, there's so much going on, so... Uh, yeah, I've been getting back into it. You know, you got to get work stuff cleared out first, and then you can work on fun stuff like an Imperial Assault YouTube channel and podcast and all that stuff. Uh, so, um, all right, well, uh, we'll do our community updates here. There's actually quite a bit uh, to share, I know, this round. First, a huge thank you to Jessica, Robert, LoopFC, Derek, Benjamin, and Sean for supporting IA Command and continuing Imperial Assault YouTube content into the future. Go to patreon.com slash command if you want to help support the channel. All donations are hugely appreciated and help to offset operations, subscription, and equipment costs of running a YouTube channel and a podcast. Huge news. First off, the iCommand Rebel High Command cast is now available in podcast form on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So if you are someone who enjoys listening to podcasts through those apps, definitely check us out there. And remember to leave a five-star review if you like the podcast. Doing so helps promote the visibility of the cast to other players who are looking for IA content. Second huge piece of news, IACB Community Championship Kits have been announced to support in-person IACP play. These kits feature full art and alternate art cards for Maul, the Darksaber, Imperial Retrofitting, and Heir to the Jedi, along with a cool double compartment hinged box featuring artwork of Maul commissioned exclusively for the IACP, and plastic standees with stickers to represent IACP figures that are not currently available as IA or Legion figures. Check out the ICP website for previews of the cards and prizes included in each kit. We are ordering these for folks and asking only that people cover the cost of the order. We are not selling these for any kind of profit. Kits are estimated to cost about 40 US dollars depending on shipping. Uh, we'll let you know with your order how much it costs so we can get reimbursed. Check out the article linked in the description for instructions on how to get a 2023 community championship kit for your community. All right, now back to the show. All right, and we are back. So let's get into some of the uh, other stuff, fun stuff, and we're going to remain talking. I, I should mention, by the way, we are going to be talking about the uh, the map. Uh, Devron Garrison is going to be our main topic. Uh, I thought we had a lot of fun with that episode about the uh, Bespin Tabana facility that after it rotated in, and I wanted to cover the other maps in rotation um, before they rotate out in the next 
what, three or four months uh, we established, so that will be fun. We're also going to go over the results from the two mini tournaments that happened in December. Uh, we had two four-player tournaments um, that's going to be joined into a finals, so we're going to talk about the results of that before as well. Um, but let's get into our comms chatter section where we listen to or we talk about um, listener email or comments from our previous episodes uh, and if you want to have your question answered or comment read on the air please leave a comment on the YouTube episode or send an email to icommand01 at gmail.com um, alright so we had a comment on our last episode's YouTube video uh, Dylan commented about wanting to see uh, playing a campaign with experienced players on the YouTube channel since he's noticed that most content out there with a campaign is usually either beginners or people that are not super experienced with um, campaign or strategy uh, and I was I saw this and I saw that um, probably not me like having a full campaign getting that scheduled and recorded that is tough but um, I don't know, maybe Wesley, maybe you have a YouTube channel and I would love to plug it, especially if you're going to do something like that. Um, have, you, have you ever thought about doing a campaign on and like recording it? Yeah, uh, several times. Um, I would say the, the one thing holding me back is a is I would just need to know a little bit more about these softwares I would use to figure out how to do that from a technical standpoint. And it's not like it's hard. Uh, it's just, you know, maybe a few more Vassalog reviews, and then I'm like, okay, let's jump up to the next big thing. How would I do a tournament, and who can I schedule with, and how are we going to do this? Yeah, I mean, like a campaign, you mean? Um, yeah. How, how do you play? Because yeah. you play campaign online, right? Right. I also have played in person uh, quite a bit, too. Okay, what do, you, what do you use to play online? Yeah, so when I play online, I'm using Tabletop Simulator, and there is a mod, I think it's, we've talked about it in the past, the table, I think it's just Imperial Assault 3D, and it basically has every campaign component there in the game, and we use that, um, and most of the game's maps are set up for you, but you can also just create maps with tiles, you can spawn in tiles, so we use that, and we use Discord to talk, uh, so really, it would be a screen recording software and the consent of a bunch of people who, you know, want to be a part of that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you could just, like, turn on OBS. Uh, if you if you get familiar with that software, it's a screen capture software. It's what I mm -hmm. use to make this show um, and make a lot of my videos. Uh, and I, I think you've used it for your own um, game log reviews. You just turn I it on. You use something called FreeCam. Oh, okay. And it's it it does get my audio, it does get um, the screen, but I think it's a lot less refined than what OBS sounds like it is. I mean, you can just use FreeCam then on while you're playing one of your campaigns. Um, yeah. I have tried to use uh, video capture software while running TTS, and it just captures like one frame every like minute. It just slows Ooh. down to a crawl. So. I, I've never been able to make it work where TTS... I, I can't even use TTS anymore, honestly. That program crawls for me now when I try to even just run it on its own. But, um... I mean, that's very sad. <laughs> it is the best way, I would say, to do campaign. Yeah, so... At least online. 
So maybe that's a possibility uh, on the Second Flax channel. But ju I just wanted to bring that up too because uh, to let you know, Wesley, that you know the demand is there. There's somebody who yeah. wants to see people playing campaign. I will say, um, I do have a campaign on this on my YouTube channel that was played. Uh, the uh, I think it was Twin Shadows we played in a game store. <laughs> so and I recorded <laughs> it with a camera. And so mm -hmm. you get all the nice game store ambient sound, uh, but I think we played through the whole thing on camera, and uh, that's if you go way back, I think it's one of my first uh, set of videos was that campaign. And then um, the other thing you can do if you're somebody who's interested in just seeing campaign being played, like seeing other people who know what they're doing that played a lot of campaign uh, playing. Um, oh, wow. See my my microphone's being updated in real time again. Um, yeah, there's a spike. Uh, so if you want to see people just playing campaign, uh, you can go to Board Game Geeks uh, Play by Forum section, and there you can you can view all the active campaigns and people are playing actually by forum post, and that's a great way to see people who have been playing a lot of campaign often. Uh, Playing out, playing out the matches. It's it's kind of interesting following it by forum post. It's a little bit, uh, you know, it's interesting. But that's just an idea for if you're looking for uh, campaigns being played by folks who know what they're doing. But uh, my short answer would be yes. That is something I'll look into. That would be fun. All right, so moving on, we have our rules question of the week where we like to look at a rules question that was asked since our last episode that would be interesting to talk about on the air. And the one I picked for this episode is a question about Death Troopers. I think uh, Herbie asked this one. Mm -hmm. question was, can a Death Trooper use its ability to share uh, power tokens while it is occupying another figure's space? And so I want to bring up the Death Trooper card here for those watching on the video. Um, so this is for the Squad Captain ability. Uh, once during activation, an adjacent friendly trooper or leader may gain one power token. So the interesting answer that I actually wasn't expecting this to be true, but I, when I checked it was, um, is yes, you can use Squad Captain while your Death Trooper is activifying, uh, occupying another figure's space. The reason for that is the rule is that for abilities that say during your activation or used during your activation or once during your activation, um, you can do that anytime during your activation except when you are resolving an action or resolving an attack. Um, that's from the FAQ and the rules reference guide. Uh, and so you're, when you're moving, so it depends on the movement, right? Yeah. So when you're moving by just spending movement points, you're not resolving an action, um, typically, because you, you use a move action to gain movement points. But then after that action resolves, that's when you start spending the movement points. Um, the only time right. that would be interrupting an action is if you it was a special action like urgency where you gain movement points because then you have to spend them immediately so spending the movement points is part of resolving the action um, and then in the FAQ entry uh, it says that you can't use uh, those types of abilities while you're resolving an attack so even if you're not resolving an action if you're resolving an attack you can't do it 
So that means that if you're just spending normal movement points, you can move, 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 you're staying on top of somebody, and then say, okay, I'm going to also use this during my activation ability, and then continue moving. So another interesting use that I just thought of uh, for the campaign side. So you could do this while standing in someone's space with Onar's Rush ability in campaign. So I don't know if you can pull this up, but I can read it. Uh, when you enter a space adjacent to a small figure, you may push that figure up to one space, limit once per activation. So it sounds like you could move into someone's square and then push someone else from that square that you couldn't normally reach uh, to get some more use out of that rush ability. Well, let's see. Which, yeah, which is something that I think we most people don't realize you can do. Because again, rush in skirmish or the the version of that that we have is an action, but in campaign it's not. It's just a hero effect that you can do. Yeah, this is actually a different category of ability, because um, this is on its hero card, right? Yes. This is when you enter a space adjacent to a small figure, you may push that figure up to one space limit once per activation. So this is, like, as you said, you can do this during any activation, not just during Onar's. Um, mm -hmm. And it's uh, any time he enters a space adjacent to a, another figure. So that could be... Um, Oh, there was my volume again. So that could be, um, like, I think he has an ability that lets him move, like, during at the end of another figure's activation. He has, like, a XP card that does that. Right. Right. Yeah, you can't do that out, out of activation, I would think. Um, well, I guess it depends on how many movement points you have. No, you can totally do it out of activation, as long as it's during a, an activation. So, mm -hmm. so, like, he can't use Rush, like, if he gets a movement during end of round or start of round, but nobody's activating, he can't use Rush. But as long as it's during another figure's activation or during his activation, he can use it. So that's a different category, though, because it's not um, during your activation. The one where it does apply uh, more relevantly is uh, Davith. So this is actually how I knew about this ruling because I remembered asking or seeing uh, Posi talk about this. Davith's uh, force speed, it says use during your activation to move up to two spaces, lim limit once per activation. And the question was, can I use this while I'm occupying another figure's space? Because I want to, like, you know, move into a space and then use force speed to move through another figure, like a hostile figure. Mm -hmm. And the answer was yes, and that's the reason why, is because it's a during your activation. Mm. Now the thing with Davith is, you can't mm. spend your last movement point to move on to another figure. Yeah, I think that's that's always uh, true, is you can't just end in another figure. Yeah. And that would have to invalidate anything else you, you do during that move, if there's no way you can you know, end outside of someone's square yeah but like let's say you wanted to like the only way you wanted to move through two hostile figures but you also needed to move through one of your uh friendly figures to to get there where you wanted to be you could move through the friendly figure as long as you still have movement points left you could then use force rush to move through those two hostile figures um and then be good to go so that's why that matters 
I think another example here would be Sabine. You could have her move into someone's space, throw out her parting gift, and then move away. I believe that's true. Let's see. Yep, during your activation. Yep, yeah, you can totally do that. That's damage ability, so that's nice. It, but it's not an attack, which is why it's still able to function that way. Yep. Um, but to be clear, you had said that Onar's hero card was a different type of ability. Are Were you saying that that would work to be able to rush inside of another figure or not work? Or unsure? Um... So, it would work <clears throat> as long as you can legally enter that figure's space. Um, yeah, you could use... Oh, I see what you're saying. Um, you mean to, like, push that figure out of the space that owner's occupying? No, because then you wouldn't be adjacent. Um, so, we had a, a campaign to illustrate this where there was a mission we had to kill an Imperial officer in the officer got surrounded by a bunch of royal guards and at the time it was a well enough placing that we couldn't really do anything uh, but looking back if onar had maybe moved into the space of the royal guard and then used rush to push the imperial officer away from the royal guard and then used onar's last movement point to move where that officer had been that would have been a great way to take out that officer without all the bonuses from royal guard and the officer's reroll yeah, actually, uh, you've posted the one and only game I've played in a while. <laughs> oh, you know what? I just realized my mic was muted. So um, I was saying that uh, we'll get, talk about our games we played, and uh, we actually haven't recorded in a while. So, Wesley, go ahead and talk about the games that you've been up to in the last month since we recorded. Yeah, so actually, it, you have posted the one I have played onto your YouTube channel already. <laughs> Uh, that was one of your most recent ones. It was oh, yeah. Versus Adam. <laughs> yep. And you got to see a couple of units you don't see that often on, on both sides. I know Adam brought K2SO and Loku, which you don't see a lot of, and I had run a spy list. Uh, and brought Agent Blaze, which I don't think I've ever seen anyone play in ISCP, at <laughs> least as long as I've been here. Um, and, you know, it was it was an idea I had, and... I thought, like, hey, you know, there's a lot of spy stuff going on now, but even more, like, there's so many bonuses and buffs that you get from all these support units, focuses, and power tokens, and command cards, and I wanted to make a list that just kind of stripped away as much of those bonuses as it could, and left you with just your base units, and then had a strong enough kind of set of buffs and um, cohesion on my side to overcome your base units. So it started with a couple of the ISB officer cards, or ISB, I don't know what they're called, agents. Uh, and then you put generals' ranks on them, and they're able to let each other attack outside of turn. So they're attacking with plus ones, they get hidden all the time, but they're also spies, so they can play the amazing spy cards, and they can make it so your opponents uh, cannot use any command cards while it's their turn. And they basically get three attacks for seven points each activation. So I combine that with figures like Agent Callus and Agent Blaze. Callus to help me draw cards and spread out more power tokens to make the uh, make the ISB agents even stronger. 
And also, when an opponent plays a command card each round, Callus and Blaze have a trigger on that. So I remember there was one point where, in that match with Adam, I played Inspiring Speech, which was going to have Callus give two of my ISB uh, officers or ISB units. It was going to give two of them focus, and he goes, well, I have a couple spies, I'm going to play comms disrupt and negate it. And it's like, okay, well, I don't get the two focuses, but because you played a command card, Callus is going to give them each a power token, and Blaze is going to give someone hidden. So for using a command card to stop me from getting two buffs, you gave me three buffs. <laughs> and that was kind of the gist of the list, is let's make everything that's related to buffs and bonuses is kind of hard for you and make it harder for you to play command cards. I I know when you were casting over our game, you got a little excited when I had Rest in Peace in the deck. <laughs> and that's because I was like, yeah, this is an anti-command card deck. I don't want you to get anything back. I don't want you to use Leia to get you know a second Son of Skywalker or Knowledge and Defense. And I think in that game, I was like, well, he doesn't have many of those effects, maybe Knowledge and Defense, but I think I'm just going to play this and try and draw a card this round. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing that I I didn't like was when he used Intel Leak on me. And, you know, I had thought long and hard about whether to bring Smuggling Compartment and had decided against it. But I think Spies are getting even more popular now. But I don't know what to pull out of the deck for it. I feel like mm-hmm. Doubt is a good one. But I also, if I wanted to put it Smuggling Compartment, but I feel like Doubt is uh, a very good like a thesis statement for the entire list I was running. It's like, yeah, let's take all your cards away, and when you do do something good, I'm going to, you know, mitigate or disrupt that. Let's make you reroll. But the full game is on uh, TV Boy's channel. So if you guys want to see that, it's it was a fun one with a lot of units you don't see too often, a lot of cards you don't see too often as well. I do plan to run that list a little bit more, and I've learned a few things. I just... Still need to decide where I can squeeze smuggling compartment in there. Yeah, and that was kind of my whole thing with smuggling compartment when we were when it first came out was like, you know, it's really good. It's really good against spies. It's obviously what it's designed for, but it's also really good with spies because then you have full act control over, you know, the whole command card game, and your opponent can't do anything about it to you by trying to use spy cards to counter you. That's often yeah. what you see is spy cards used to counter spy cards, spy versus spy, the whole thing. Um, I think, th- thinking about what you were just saying about doubt, um, I think that makes sense, honestly, to cut doubt for smuggling compartment because um, with uh, doubt and smuggling compartment, you the whole point of doubt is to punish your opponent for, for being passive um, and trying to wait, but uh, spies kind of do that with uh, strat shift already, right? Mm-hmm. You have stra- you have strategic shift in your deck, and so yeah. assuming you draw that um, by turn two or even turn three, like you have a way to punish your opponent if they're not uh, trying to be more active, you know? Yeah, yeah, but I think you know, like you. Uh, in the game, uh, Mara had focus on round one, and she was able to move up, but I positioned just enough so that she couldn't reach an attack. 
Mm-hmm. And like for me, the doubt was, okay, now she's not focused, so she might not one-shot these guys anymore. But I see where the... But that does sound like some good wisdom. Because the other one I'm considering is extra armor, but just from that one game alone, extra armor saved at least two of my guys for an entire action. Like that one point was the difference at least twice in that game. Yeah, I could see extra armor being important, especially for keeping those ISBs alive. Oh, yeah. But uh, another thing was, you know, my opponent had smuggling compartment, and part of my strategy was, well, I've got so many abilities that mess with your command cards that I might actually be able to pull two off in a round and, like, get you anyways. I think you commented on that at one point where I used interrogate with Blaze uh, to look at his hand, and he didn't smuggle in compartment, and you weren't sure why. But I was actually hoping that he would because I had strat shift in my hand. And at some point after he, you know, did that and still had smuggling compartment, I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to get off strat shift. I'm going to pitch this for Zillow. So maybe that's what it was, is he didn't use it because he knew that strat shift was still there and was still a threat to his hand. Yeah. Like, save it for... Yeah, that was a fun game, and I will probably run that list again. Nice. All right, well... Maybe, Maybe with that doubt change and a couple command card changes. There's another thing I realized is I'm running a lot of low point cards in that deck, and um, for Interrogate, if you do want to get rid of one of your your opponent's cards, you need a higher cost card to do that. So, I might want to switch one or two things in there. That makes sense. Alright, any other other gameplay you want to talk about? That is it right now. Okay. Well, I have not been playing much games. I have been doing a lot of updates to my custom campaign, but I think we'll save that for another video when there's more to talk about, because it's still uh, very much in testing. Um, but we... That might even be something I'd be willing to make a video on, playing <laughs> through it. That would be awesome. Um, okay, but we did have two tournaments in December. There are kind of two mini tournaments, though. Um, usually, I put up a poll online with uh, the community to see when people are available. Oh, my cat! Uh, he's up. Sorry. <laughs> so anyway, usually I put up a poll to see when people are available to play in these free vassal tournaments. Uh, and this for December, we had kind of an even split. People were saying, "I can't, I can't do this, but I can do this." So I said, "Okay." I don't want to run, you know, we, I, I wasn't quite sure what to do, so I said, you know what, I will, I'll split it up here between the two days that everybody are saying they're available, and we'll do, like, two mini tournaments, basically, and we'll have the winner of each one play each other for the, the final prize, so that's what we ended up doing, um, so we had a tournament on the 10th with four people, and then just yesterday, um, we had a tournament with four more people. Um, and I think the only common person between them was Herbie. So um, I was expecting Kyle to defend his title. Yeah, he didn't show up yesterday, so I guess he is eager to see a new challenger um, for the for the cards. Um, but let's go over the. Um, I just we're gonna go over really quickly the lists here, and I'll probably edit in the list on for the video. So for the tenth, uh, we had first place Kyle. Uh, 3-0 and uh, playing Empire and he was running Palpatine with Motivation 
heavy stormtrooper with targeting computer, uh, another heavy stormtrooper with suppressive fire, elite death trooper, elite e-web with the general's ranks, uh, officer with advanced comm system, heavy fire, zillow, and rule by fear. And we'll go over the command cards for this one. He was playing overwhelming impact, reduced to rubble, call the vanguard, negation, induce rage, concentrated fire, uh, urgency, change of plans, disorient, dark energy, planning, element, take initiative, collateral damage, and covering fire. And uh, I probably won't read the command cards for the other list, just the two that won each tournament. But um, just quick thoughts, like pretty interesting list. I think he's got an attachment on almost everything, uh, which is kind of <laughs> crazy to think about. I think only his Death Trooper doesn't have an attachment, and this is kind of like a heavy, like a heavy weapons Imperial list uh, with Palpatine here. So, what do we think? Uh, do you have any thoughts on Kyle's three and O list from twelve ten? Yeah, I am seeing a little more often uh, people. I see that the E Web has generals ranks. And I've been seeing people use, including myself in the spy list, using like a single officer in their general's ranks list, but pairing it with somebody using motivation uh, to save a point on a second officer. And motivation does a few other things, but you know, I think the motivation going from one point to three points of movement is quite potent, and you really don't need as many officers when you do that. Yeah, that's really. That was really interesting when I saw that. I had not seen... I don't think I've ever seen anybody put the general's ranks on the E-Web. You almost always see it with... Yeah, me either. You almost always see it with either Lion Ambush or uh, the Overwatch. card that we made for it, Overwatch, yeah. But that combo with Motivation that you just mentioned, which we see here with Palpatine, is uh, seems very potent uh, to be able to move it three spaces for no action with Palpatine. Uh, which we have seen. We've seen a lot of Palpatine with motivation. Um, mm -hmm. He doesn't have General's Ranks on the heavies either, so he's pretty much using that on the E-Web, um, which is really clever. So... Yeah. And then... Um, and Induced Rage isn't a card I've seen very often, but it makes sense with the heavy fire. Yeah. Um, well, I think... Because Disorient's the one that where they take a damage... If they take damage, you can discard a condition from them, right? Mm-hmm. So I wonder yeah. if Disorient... Is there something in this list that is stunning his own figures? Well, Disorient is for... If you hit an opponent who has a positive condition, you discard that positive condition and give them two strength. Yeah, so I was so... looking for Induced Rage. Because uh, that, that's the one that at the start of the round you discard a... You can choose two figures, discard conditions from them, and then they gain power tokens. Yeah, I think that's heavy fire. Oh, because of the because of the stun from heavy fire. Okay, so that's why that's right. in there. That makes sense. Yep. Because I was thinking of disorient works really well with heavy fire too, because you can ping damage onto people um, that you're not attacking, and then you can strip their their focus tokens. Weird to see dark energy with only one force user. Yeah, I wonder what's up with that. Probably to pull someone in line of sight of the Emperor ability. And do a little damage. Mm, use, like using it on a friendly figure, you think? No, I'm, I don't even know if you can. I, I mean, like, I so. you know, I can see uh, 
an e-web who has a harder time getting around the map, you know, maybe is just out of line of sight. Uh, Palpatine uses motivation, helps him get closer, but he's missing that one point of of movement or adjustment. Um, and Palpatine just pulls the one figure that's expertly placed by his opponent out of place one, one space with dark energy, and suddenly the Emperor ability lets the e-web fire off into him. That's interesting. You could also use it to that... set up like blast with the heavy troopers. Oh yeah, blast too. That's also probably a, a good part of this. Uh, choose another small figure. Okay, yeah, it can be any small figure. So you could use it to get your own heavy troopers into position to attack as well. I never thought about using it that way though. I have a feeling it's probably not using it that way because it would deal a damage to them, but it is uh, pretty flexible and versatile. I I would take a damage to do the right attack. That's fair. Um, okay, well, let's move on. I wanted to just mention what else was in that tournament. Um, at 2-1, and one, we had Herbie, who was playing his double Rancor list, which we'll talk about in a minute here. And then at one and two, so one win, two losses, we had Josh, who was also playing a Rancor list, a single Rancor. It's Rancor, Jabba, Afra, regular Lothcat, Bib Fortuna, two regular Jawas. Well, I'll put, you know, I'm going to put it up. I'll just put it up on the screen so we won't read it out. But I just wanted to note here two Rancor lists. And then there, I think the fourth place person was also running um, an Imperial Trooper Kane list. Somos. Yeah, so Kane Somos with some Snowtroopers and Dewbacks. Um, but it went 0 3. So just oh, wanted... that's, I think that's usually a high placing list. No, it's not. We don't see Kane Somos. <laughs> um, we see that with Tarot. Yeah. So just giving some, some context there to what Kyle was playing against in his tournament. And then for the tournament that happened yesterday on 12 17. And oh, there goes my audio. And so this I respect, one, I do respect the cane pick though. Yeah, um, I actually have a video coming up that features um, a cane Somos list beating Herbie's double rancor list. Um, spoilers, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it was a really interesting match. Um, so I hope to get that one up soon. But it's also relevant because it was a list that was played in the 1217 tournament. So we'll we'll talk about that in a second too. So uh 1217 yesterday we actually had a three-way tie for first place. Uh and Joey ended up winning based off of tiebreakers. So uh we'll put his list up on the screen here for everybody to look at. And for our audio listeners, I'll go ahead and read off the list from Joey. Uh, it was two ISB Infiltrator Elites, one Grand Inquisitor, Agent Callus, two Purge Troopers, Imperial Officer, Zillow Technique, Rule by Fear and Doubt, and the command card list was Assassinate, Calm Disruption, Tools for the Job, Dying Lunge, Intelligence Leak, Primary Target, Strategic Shift, Negation, Death Blow, Pummel, Element of Surprise, Fleet-footed, urgency, looking for a fight, and planning. Um, but basically a double ISB list like you were talking about, except he is running Inquisitor and Purge Troopers. So we have double Purge Trooper here winning uh, this tournament on tiebreakers. Um, 
I don't know. I, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing this in action. Uh, I wasn't able to live stream, but I'm hoping to do some game log reviews uh, for this event. Uh, Inquisitor with two purge troopers and elite ISBs. So like purge troopers are brawlers. I think Callus is a brawler. Mm -hmm, he is. Um, but I you don't really see much crossover. I see dying lunge in the command cards, um, which I'll post up on the screen as well. So, what do we think about this one, uh, this list? I am trying to figure out what the ISBs are doing here. Because I see Inquisitor is a hunter, Purge Troopers are hunters, Callus uh, is hunters, and you know you, you have two troopers in the Purge Troopers, and then you just got four spies. <laughs> Hanging out. Well, Callus is a spy brawler. Ah, yeah. So you have three spies, and I we do see calm disruption. Yes, which makes sense. Um, this is something hard to make of. I think. I think it's less about the trait synergy here and more about power. Now the I figure out what the strategy is though. The ISBs can target the purge trooper. Ah. Yeah. So let's see. Purge trooper. I wonder, but purge troopers tend, at least in my opinion, to do a lot better on their own activations. Personally, I've kind of learned that Call the Vanguard isn't as worth it on them. So you can't use the batons with the ISBs because it's only during activation, but Electro Hammer does trigger off any attack. The Electro Pulse um, spread damage ability. What about the Staff? Staff is on any attack, um, but it has special conditions you have to meet from the defender. So maybe but he you're was also not getting on the hunt. Yeah, that's true. That's and, true. You don't get that plus yeah. one, but maybe for the spread damage, it's worth it. I'm not, I don't know. Maybe. So, I mean, we don't really know which loadouts he was using. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. He but I would imagine either hammers or uh, staffs for the reach. Yeah. But um, I mean, he won. He's doing something right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a t it was a three way um, mm. draw. 2-1 with two other players and I'll, I'll mention really quickly it because I learned how um, tiebreakers work for round robin it's different from Swiss uh, You for, for round robin the tiebreaker is you look at each player and their results against the other tied players that, that they're tied with and all three of these players they each had a one and one result against each other um, you know so I think I think like Joey beat Josh, Josh beat Herbie, Herbie beat Joey. So we were didn't have a tiebreaker there. So then you had to look at the difference between each player's VPs that they got, and then minus the VPs their opponents got, uh, and then that way. So mm. so basically, who won big and lost small, and yep. that that was Joey. He he had much bigger wins, and he had a very very close loss. So that's why he ended up getting the first place uh, in tiebreakers. But we'll talk about the other two two-and-ones uh, that were tied with Joey. So second place was Herbie 
Uh, and he was playing his double Rancor list that I think has been a lot of people that play ICP are familiar with now. Um, yep. And I don't know much to what else to talk about it other than that it's a really well designed list and I think it's doing good work for him. Basically, um, Beast Tamer with the Rancors, you feed them the regular Jawas to give them extra activations. Uh, and you have two Rancors so that when your first one goes down, your opponent has to deal with the second one. Yeah, changed my mind on the Savage Vigor card with lists like this. Oh, yeah? Used to think it was bad. Now it's uh, scary. It's too much defense. <laughs> yeah, it's been interesting. There's been talk I mean, in the, ste in the steering committee about the one of the big combos this list has is uh, Doctor Afra replaying Survival Instincts, mm. which is that's cool. That's the one that gives the Rancor plus one block and plus one evade. So being able to replay with that with Afra is pretty pretty strong uh, on top of like power tokens and stuff like that. From my uh, from my perspective, though, what I see here is it's still not winning events. You know, it seems like a second place list a lot of the time. Yeah, Herbie's got maybe some bad luck. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know. It just seems like you know, even if there are parts of this list that are bonkers, there's enough holding it back that I think it's in a good place. It's like, ah, cool, Rancor did good. You know, right where it should be. And even if it did a little better, that'd just be like, go Rancor. Yeah, I think Rancor's That's in how a I good feel. place. I, I agree. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on yeah. to the so the the third two and one list was Josh uh, playing basically a hunter list. And I don't know if there's much to call out about this one. Um, we're seeing kind of you don't see stuff. elite Claudites too often. Yeah, that's true. So we can talk about the Claudite. Um, I don't see any spy cards in his command deck, though. I Earlier this season, I had a list, and I only used it once or twice, uh, but it had an elite Claudite, and it wasn't for the spy cards. It was for the power tokens with the senator form. Right. And then round two, you turn it into the... I think it's the scout, but it's the one with longer range, and it just becomes a long-range hunter that you just try to keep safe. Yeah, but. which is pretty much standard. Usually, you see Claudites played with like figures that get automatically focused, like BT or IG88, because um, they they're so good at giving out power tokens. But the only one I see is Cad Bane, who actually wants to be focused. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know hunters, like, they do so much damage with one attack, and sometimes you get two, and, you know, they can take out high-value figures, or at least very close to it. And then you have cards like Bib that, you know, add damage, and they have a lot of CCs that add damage. And so I'm, I think it might be a shift towards the Claudites being able to add even more damage. You know, just adding that little pip extra. Uh, they're also six cost which this whole list seems like it's, you know, made for strength in numbers. Yeah, it would definitely be good, and we do see that. Um... And Vinto. Vinto probably benefits from power tokens a lot. Yep, 
Yeah, I was going to say that too. I think Vinto makes sense because you can only um, have focused or hidden on the first attack, so having that power token you can spend on the second one is pretty useful. Although, I, well, you can always rehide after the first attack uh, if you get the search. That's true, but then you're not using, you might not have a search left for plus one or pierce two. Yeah. But, uh, it's a tricky thing with Vinto. Yeah, so I think the power token makes sense for him. Um, okay, and then um, the other, I'll just mention the other list that was there, the fourth list was uh, Empire list with uh, two Dark Troopers and Eweb and Aiden and Kane Somos again. And I'll mention this, that this list um, was the one that I saw beat Herbie's double Rancor list, so... Uh, you know the the results here. I I would not have predicted that based on what I'd seen previously. But looks like Herbie was able to uh, win the day on the day that it mattered, <laughs> the tournament day. <laughs> but uh, dark troopers. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't think you have the command list here. I don't see much to do with droids. But they are troopers, so that's cool. Yep. So, um, so again, uh, let's see. So Joey's list is going to be playing against Kyle uh, for the finals there, and the winner gets the pl the prize of the season seven deployment cards. Now that'll be one worth streaming, I think. Yeah, we'll definitely try to get that one going. Okay, well, um, let's get into our main topic here, and uh, while I am opening up my map image that I didn't have open, um, Wesley, do you want to go ahead and introduce the map that we're going to be talking about? Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about Devaron Garrison. Uh, this map rotated in much earlier this year, and I think it's been a month or two since we've had Tibana facility enter. Which means within another two or three months, uh, Devron's going to be rotating out. And Noah thought it would be nice to do another analysis video on the maps. And if we're going to do one, we should do one on the map that's about to leave rotation. Um, this is a small map, and it's kind of got a center lane with a few doors. And it's got a lane all the way over to the right with a few extra objectives compared to the middle lane. And what you see a lot of in this map is if you have melee lists, you're going down the center and trying to just get into a big fight with your opponent. And if you don't have that kind of melee list, you're trying to either play both angles or run down the long path to the right uh, to get away from your opponent's melee list. <laughs> but I think this is a really nicely designed map. I've had a lot of fun on this one, and I'm going to be sad when it goes. This is the first map that rotated in for me after I started playing, and it was, it's was it been a lot of fun. Um, this one's got two missions, uh, so they all do, but the first one is Arm Salvage, and both missions make use of five crates that are scattered throughout the map. So first mission is the start of each round. You're going to place a power token on each crate according to the crate's color, and there are two positions that have power tokens, two crates that give defense power tokens, and one that gives a surge power token in the middle of the map on the right side. And at the end of each round, whoever controls that crate can distribute that many power tokens to their figures that are adjacent to the crate, and they gain two VPs. And I 
there is an interesting bit about that um, in terms of crate distribution that I think a lot of players tend to mix up, but I'm sure we'll get into that once we get past the overview. Uh, and there are three doors, and doors are not locked in this mission. So you just open them whenever you want. And then secure missions, munitions, secure munitions is the B scenario here. In this one, the doors are locked. And the crates, instead of having power tokens or anything, they are these objectives that have five health and one defense. You can shoot at them, you can attack them. If they're destroyed, they blow up, and all figures and objects adjacent to them suffer two damage. So they explode and do a blast. But uh, the idea is at the end of each round, if you control... If you control a crate at the end of the round, you can push it up to three spaces. And if they're in your deployment zone, you count as having six additional VPs. So the idea is round one, round two, maybe into round three, you're kind of fighting for control of these crates in the center of the map, moving them to your deployment zones. Once you get them in there, they are a six VP swing, which is pretty big, but they can still be destroyed by your opponents maybe even blowing up your own figures, but you do need your figures next to them in order to move them, so there's a push and pull there. Uh, additionally, the doors at the end of each round, if you control a terminal, uh, you op choose and open a door. And it's not optional, so, you know, if you wanted the doors to stay closed, you're not drawing command cards. <laughs> but for the most part, by the end of round two, all the doors are going to be open. And the doors open before you move the crates, uh, which is interesting with this map is that there are doors that kind of block access, easy access to the crates. But once the doors open, you almost have just a straight shot from deployment zone to deployment zone with the crates in the middle. And I think that's a, that basically covers it. Yeah. For the a, overview, at least. Yeah, I think you did a great job there. Sorry, I was just <laughs> taking forever for my. Uh, vassal program to load but um yeah you described it really well um i think the things to mention are that that straight you mentioned there's a straight shot from uh deployment zone to deployment zone it is still blocked by some blocking terrain uh in terms of line of sight but uh yeah definitely easy to move uh to attack so deployment zones are not safe from each other really um on this map um, Even though there are doors, there are, you know, some figures that can just move five around and get line of sight to the opponent's deployment zone. Uh, first turn, if you want. Yep. So, <clears throat> talking about the layout here, um, you kind of mentioned it really well, that the, um, the deployment zones are very close. So, I don't know if you mentioned this, but um, a figure starting off in one deployment zone can move four to five spaces and have line of sight into the appointments deployment zone even before doors uh, any doors open yeah uh, yeah just cover that so very important to keep your figures safe in your deployment zone uh, by not leaving them like in that doorway but keeping them back behind the wall um, you really want to deploy using those like far right two columns in your deployment zone and that way you should be mostly safe from a round one attack from your opponent. Um, talking about terrain, did, did you mention uh, terrain on the map already? 
Not very much. Yeah, so we've got um, blocking terrain on the left and right paths. So the left path has the blue objectives, and the right one has the red and the yellow. Um, the terrain, it's mostly just line of sight blocking on this map. Um, there's not a lot of, especially blocking terrain, that is really obstructing movement all that much. Um, there is a particular tree uh, to the right of the red deployment zone that I think makes it harder to move up into the center on the right line. Yeah, definitely true. So that, that one is uh, one where having mobile would be quite advantageous, especially if you're a small figure, is being able to move back and forth across that tree. Um, but otherwise, it's mostly for line of sight blocking. Um, we'll mention that the non-massive large figures do have a hard time on this map, especially if they don't have mobile, um, because those blocking terrains, for, for normal small figures that can just move diagonally around them, they are kind of a pain for large figures uh, if they're not mobile or massive to move around. Uh, so let's talk about the deployment zones. This is kind of one of the more important things on these map analysis. So uh, the blue deployment zone, in my opinion, has two distinct advantages over the red. Uh, the first one is that they have this wall here. I'm, I'm showing it on the YouTube video, but on the right side of the map, um, by the red and yellow deployment uh, objectives, they have this wall that extends one space further out than the wall on the red deployment side, and that gives them a really good line of sight advantage where they can hide back here and move one space out and be able to see really well, or even two spaces and be able to see uh, really well, and the, the red side has to stay far, quite far ways back away from the objectives if they want to be safe. And in fact, uh, the blue deployment zone player can put their figure right here uh, up into the right of the red objective that's closest to them. And they actually cannot be seen by the blue player unless they move quite far up, like almost next to the yellow uh, objective. Yeah, I that is one thing that I would notice on this map. And I usually don't go far enough into you know analyzing maps to kind of figure those special spaces out but i did on this one figure out that blue has that incredibly valuable space where you just the objective's yours unless they're going to come fight you like in your face yep um i was going to use the uh, line of sight tool but it looks like it's actually down today so that's unfortunate really i had it up uh i mean i have it up right now oh nice um I don't know where exactly. Do you know where if you're if a figure is standing on the red, uh, right next to the red objective, what mm -hmm. is the f uh, farthest away that the red objective, red deployment zone player can uh, see them? Like how far do they so, move up? Right. So the red deployment zone. Okay, um, I can probably do it. Let's see. Yeah, see if you can, but the, if you check again, show no, yeah, okay. <clears throat> so from that spot, uh, the blue deployment zone player can basically see all the way down the the center lane, uh, basically the hall of the red players map, like basically everything except that one corner by the tree uh, that's hidden. And the 
red player basically has to move all the way up past the first tree or past the first blocking terrain in the in that middle area they have to move basically to that very center spot in order to start seeing the blue player who is holding that objective so they have to be one space north of their red objective Space north of their red objective. Yeah. Yeah, and then I think on this side too. So they have to be way up into that area to be able to even shoot this space. So yeah, that's a big advantage mm -hmm. to blue deployment zone. Yeah. Um, the other advantage to the blue deployment zone is in this blue crate area, uh, their crate is in a spot where they can stand a figure right here uh, and they are protected from both. Uh, this side of the map and from the opponent's deployment zone as well going this way in terms of line of sight uh, and they it's not true for the red player if they want to have somebody uh, controlling this blue crate they have to stand at least here uh, which takes uh, can be seen uh, from both this part of the map I'm highlighting it with my uh, cursor uh, this area, which is very easy to attack from the blue deployment zone, and also all the way up here, uh, is also able to attack that uh, blue blue crate space. So, the blue crates are also much better for the blue deployment zone. I had not thought of that. That is, I mean, that's really good. I'm gonna have to look at your video, look at this, watch this back <laughs> to see the video portion of it uh, to get some more tips on which positions I can actually use the best. Yes. But I did not really put that together about how safe you are with the blue but to, traits if you're on blue. Yeah, to, to help people who are maybe listening on the audio podcast, because uh, definitely follow us on that, um, there's that cross-shaped blocking terrain uh, on the left side of the map where the blue crates are. And there's a blue crate... Uh, like opposite diagonal sides of that cross. If you're on the blue deployment zone, you can control the blue crate and have the blocking terrain like surrounding your figure in such a way that uh, you can't be seen from the middle of the map, from the middle doorway, and you cannot be seen from your opponent's deployment zone either. Mm -hmm. And uh, further describing it, if you're on the red deployment zone, the blue crate is positioned in that cross-shaped blocking terrain in such a way that in order to be controlling it you have to uh, have your figure be exposed to both the um, the the that upper right room that's kind of between the blue deployment zone and the blue crates mm -hmm. and also be exposed to the middle doorway um, from the right side of the map yeah. So I would and that middle doorway. That yeah. middle doorway is interesting. Yeah, let's talk about think, it. Yeah, I think this is one that a lot of time people kind of forget. You know, I think, at least in my mind, this map is segmented into two lanes, and usually at some point, someone will just open the middle door, and I'll just go, "Oh God, it's just one big room now." <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, it is still, I mean, yeah, that's mostly true. The I think the the right side room actually has an advantage there, 
uh, because it is easier to hide from the left side of the map on the right side than it is for folks on the left side to hide from the right side of the map. Um, you have to basically be standing behind that cross-shaped uh, blocking terrain if you're on the left side to be safe from the right side of the map. So yeah. I think it's actually better to control the right side of the map uh, than the left side because you also have more objectives on that side. Um, and if you have ranged figures, you can basically take shots at people in the left side of the map freely if you're on the right side. Yeah, but I think people tend to be so ready to get into the action, especially if you get a melee list, that I tend to see two-thirds of the figures going left and trying to fight it out there, and maybe a third of the army at most goes to the right and tries to have a mini-skirmish on their end of the map. Yeah. <clears throat> so let's talk about different strategies for different types of lists. Um, you mentioned melee lists. Uh, they typically want to... Oh, did we talk about the doors being locked and unlocked on different missions? Yeah, uh, so Arm Salvage, Mission A, we mentioned that they're just unlocked. You just open them with an action. Uh, and then Mission B, they're locked, and they open at the end of a round. Each player chooses one if they control a terminal, which is almost always. Uh, so by the end of round two, they'll all be open. Right. So... That's important because that'll determine how safe you are from that middle doorway. <clears throat> um, so if you're playing a close range list, so a melee list or any list that is like doesn't really do well at long range and wants to close the gap quickly, um, you typically will want to stay on the left side of the map uh, and use that blue crate room to get your figures up to your opponent's deployment zone because otherwise it's a very long way to go to go around the green the green side, the right side of the map. Yep. Uh, and then conversely, if you're playing a list that is more long-ranged, um, you want to head away from the blue side of uh, towards the right side of the map. And that's because if you're up, if you're in the top right or bottom right um, corners of the map, you have a lot of uh, open space around you that your opponent has to cross to be able to get to you. And uh, it's quite good for sniper lists, actually. Yeah. Um, and then the reason I brought up the difference between the doors is you need to be aware of the which mission you're playing and how the doors work. Because if you're trying to move your figures up through that blue crate room, um and then your opponent is trying to go around on the right side of the, the map you know to get away from you you might find that all of a sudden that middle door is opening round one and your figures that you thought were safe in that blue crate room from your opponent now all of a sudden are basically fish in a barrel of course you could do it opposite and you know instead of going for those crates you go for where that door is when you see your opponent going right you just wait for it to open. <laughs> yep, and that's something else that you can do. That's actually one thing that the red deployment zone has, is it has this little uh, nook here that kind of goes past the doorway if you're on the left side of the map. Mm -hmm. And if you can tuck mm -hmm. figures in there, if your opponent is fully committing to the right side and they're pretty hard to get to, uh, and then they can pop out and, and 
attack your opponent if you have enough movement points. The only problem with that is that if you put somebody here, then if your opponent has anything over here, they can just wreck you. Um, yeah. In, the, in their deployment zone. And usually zone. you don't get that much advantage to know their entire list is going right. Yeah, usually your opponent will keep something in their deployment zone um, tucked behind their wall just to punish you in case you try to just come out in the open and rush them uh, mm -hmm. while they're moving all the rest of their figures to the right side. So... If you're going to go through the blue um, crate room and they're on the mission where the doors open automatically, you want to try and keep them to the left of that blocking terrain formation so that the opponent cannot just um, draw a line of sight into your figures down that middle area when the door opens in round two. Uh, but right. also, And also you have to keep in mind that your opponent can, on the other mission, can open the door manually. So if you brush a bunch of guys into this blue objective room in the middle on the left side of the map and then your opponent just comes up and like, okay, open the door <laughs> and then all of a sudden uh-oh, you're going to get shot from your opponent's deployment zone So it's actually not as clear cut for melee figures as it would initially seem if your opponent knows yeah. what they're doing but I do think it's a fun place for melee figures yes, because they can um cross the map much easier than other maps so that when you need to reposition a melee figure to counter your opponent's positioning it's not as difficult on a, as on a bigger map. I think one thing I heard mentioned when this map first came in to rotation uh, if the, I guess whether or not the doors are opened you can go from your deployment zone to your opponent's deployment zone in nine spaces. Yep. So, which is why if you are not someone who wants to have that fight, then you should not be in your <laughs> deployment zone at the end of round one. Like, you, just, you need to evacuate. Um, yeah, but it, it makes it so that, you know, characters like uh, Garkan or Hero Luke, you know, those are melee guys, but they can move eight and still attack. Yeah, so one little push from a Gideon or a Heart of Freedom, and they are swinging at you round one and you need to get out of there if you don't want to have that kind of fight with them yeah and that also means you need to be very intentional with your deployment more so than other mm -hmm. maps where you don't have to worry about getting attacked in your deployment zone right yeah you are uh, not safe <laughs> yeah deployment zones not just because you have a deployment zone border around a space that space is not safe um, so that's why I mentioned um, let me show it on the screen um, you want to be using these far right two columns mostly to deploy your forces uh, so that way they're not getting shot at round one same thing for the red deployment zone uh, down here far right two columns I think I think this map tends to have a high Jabba mortality rate yes definitely poor guy um, poor guy yeah the the yeah. The supports tend to go down first on this map if both players are playing optimally. Um, if not playing optimally, then somebody dies a tragic death because they were somewhere they shouldn't have been. <laughs> um, looking at my notes here... Oh, the, the objective. Let's talk about objectives. So Secure Munitions has the objectives where the crates move, uh, but you can destroy them. They're 5 health, 1 block. Um, you should always be looking for opportunities to destroy these crates if you can. 
especially if you can't control them, if you know your opponent's going to be controlling them, because uh, they're worth six VPs each. So, destroying a crate yeah. that your opponent would have gotten can be a huge swing, and you can destroy them after they've been scored too, which is important to keep to remember. Um, your opponent doesn't gain VPs when they go into their deployment zone; they count as having VPs. So, if you destroy that crate, uh, they no longer have they no longer count as having six VPs from that crate. Yep. Easy come, easy go. <clears throat> yeah, and five health is not hard to destroy for most lists. Also, if you time yeah. it right, you can catch your opponent, um, catch your opponent's figure standing on the crate and get them with some damage. You time it really right, you can destroy one of your opponent's crates that's next to another crate, and it'll help destroy that crate. Yep. Because the splash damage affects objects as well. Yes. Yeah, so those... That's some really good uh, information about secure munitions. And when you look at arm salvage, on the other hand, uh, one of the things I've noticed is a lot of players tend to think that it's like at the end of each round, each crate just passes out a, a token, power token of some kind. But the, I have found a lot where, especially round one, like the middle crate, or in the blue crates especially, you might not have one player controlling it. You might have, you know, last activation, someone runs up and grabs your blue crate to contest. Or uh, in the right area of the map, you know, someone isn't really able to control one of the red ones, or especially the yellow one, or you contest it. And the way that the mission is worded is you place a power token on each crate at the start of each round. So if it takes until the end of round two or round three for one team to control the blue crate, let's say the blue crate in the top left, uh, the first time it's controlled is at the end of round three. You get to distribute three block tokens to your figures that are on or adjacent to that crate, not one. Mm-hmm. Okay, good news. I got the line of sight tool working. Nice. And important because I did want to mention that this is actually a pretty good map for Han Solo uh, and Migs Mayfeld as well, and ICP for return fires shenanigans. Um, there's a lot of spots where you can put Han or Migs where they have, there's no one-way line of sight to them, um, which is important for because that's how you counter their return fire abilities is through one-way line of sight. So just looking... And there's not many spots where it works like that in this map. Right, exactly. Or there's a lot of spots where... I wouldn't say that. There's a lot of spots where you can put Han and know that he is safe from a one-way uh, attack. Mm -hmm. So, like, for example, um, on my map here, uh, you can put Han on where the blue crates are. Um, mm -hmm. either behind or for either side and he there is no way to attack him without him being able to see you uh, looks like the only example is if you have Han here so where the upper left blue crate is the only way to attack with a one-way line of sight is from the blocking terrain in the blue deployment zone uh, two spaces to the left of that here assuming the door is open of course um, yeah, so nice. Same thing for, you know, if you put it on the opposite side, 
um, here on the bottom left of that cross-shaped blocking terrain. Um, he, there's actually no way to attack him without triggering return fire. I think there's a few more. Let's see if I can find them. Um, in the right side of the map, two spaces left of the bottom red objective. Um, that is also, there's no way to attack that space without it seeing you back. Uh, oop, not that one, this one. There's a few others, so if you play around, like, um, you can actually control, if you stand on the top red objective, that is also a spot where you can um, not be attacked without being able to see back to the attacker. Uh, there's quite a few of these spots, and so that's, by the way, that's something that you should be doing if you're playing Han or MIGS uh, in ICP, is you should be looking for spots on the map, uh, usually using this line of sight tool, where you can put a figure, where you can put your Han, and they, the opponent cannot draw a line of sight to Han from a space that Han cannot see. Yeah, that's really important. If you're using the line of sight tool, this basically is a space where if you have attacker and defender on, you should only, when you click on a space, you want to only see green highlighted spaces and yellow highlighted spaces. Uh, blue highlighted spaces that are not green are bad, because those are spaces that can see that see you, but you cannot see them. If you're on the blue deployment zone, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we talked about that spot to the top right being pretty safe for for characters. There are a couple of blue spots, though. Uh, if you want to be 100% safe, you with Han or something, you go on you go on the crate itself. Uh, that is one of those safe spaces where you're not safe, but if you shoot, Han's going to get to shoot back. Yeah. Like you said it doesn't have any blue in the tool. Uh, yeah, so the one that it, the bottom left of that cross doesn't have any blue bottom left of the cross yeah hmm. I was saying on like if you stand in the top red crate it's one of those spaces as well oh yeah 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 I think you're a little more exposed uh, but if you want to get return fire you can control that objective and get your return fire yeah that's what I said was if you stand on the yeah. red crate ah yeah yep you're right um, but anyway um, let's see is there anything else that we need to talk about. I think that's kind of it, right? This map tends to lead to good slugfests when both players are playing melee lists. Yeah. I've also seen the lots last of... tournament I was in, we had a good old slugfest <laughs> in round two of the tournament. It's a scum Jedi list versus a rebel Jedi list, and... I think by the end of round one, we were both down one or two of our big figures, and by the end of round two, the game was almost over. <laughs> so I think melee lists can have a lot of fun here, especially against melee lists. Yeah, things escalate very quickly on this map, um, but I've That's also seen I've seen lots of kiting on this map, where you kite people can you can kite your opponent and kind of just stay one step ahead of them and away from them if they're trying to close distance to you by going through the right side of the map. Um, and, uh, like we saw that with, I think, Herbie versus Adam's Wookiees, where he just kept moving his figures away, and the Wookiees just kind of chased him, and it was kind of a merry-go-round. 
of Wookiees trying to catch up to the ranged figures that were taking shots at him. Hmm. But um, I like yeah. this map. Um, I was worried about it when we first rotated in, um, even though I, I have wanted this to be a tournament map since I saw it. I saw this map, you know, back in, like, 2018 or whatever, and I was like, this is cool. Like, this is a nice design. Like, this is good objectives. Like, this would be a cool tournament map, but it never, never made it into official play, so I'm glad we have it in IACP and it's getting used. Yeah. Yeah, me too. This is good. This has been one of my favorite maps. Nice. All right, so I think that's going to do it for today's episode. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Um, Wesley, do you have anything you want to plug before we go? Just uh, my YouTube channel. Nice. So I'll link that in the description. Thanks, everybody, for watching. We hope to see you next time. And remember, check out the podcast. The audio podcast is up on Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts. Uh, for you to enjoy, and uh, we will see you all later for the next episode. Goodbye, users from outside YouTube, and goodbye, users in YouTube. (laughs) 